This is When Spirit Calls, and you on your journey are in the right place. This show is about magic, miracles, and meaning shared through stories, interviews, and channeled messages. We have so much to share about who you are and your divine mission here on the earth. Let's get to it. When Spirit Calls is right now. Today we have William Pippin as our guest. And let me tell you, he's got quite an extensive background. Not only was he a former telecom regulatory attorney, but he's also a systems engineer and a hypnotherapist. He's explored many facets of paranormalcy as an experiencer, a researcher, and a writer, which includes UFOs, reincarnation and past lives, near-death experiences, after-death communication, astrology, and remote viewing. He has written and edited pieces for numerous, numerous magazines and the Journal of International Remote Viewing, in which he served as an officer and director from its founding time in 1999 through to 2017. He's a graduate of the University of Santa Monica's Awakening the Inner Counselor program. He's also studied astrology. He studied remote viewing. I mean, this guy has been busy in his life going down this beautiful rabbit hole of discovery. And I am so excited to have him as our guest today. Oh my goodness, everybody. It's so great to be back with you on another episode. And today, as you've learned, we've got the lovely William Eigels with us today. And I had the pleasure of doing a little reading for this man a few months back, and I was just blown away by what I got to witness. This man has a beautiful heart, but even more than that, he has this expansive repertoire of knowledge and wisdom to share with the world. And I said to him, you got to come on my podcast. This has got to be a thing. So here he is. Hi. Hi, William. Hi, Dan. Nice to be with you. Oh, I'm so happy to be with you, too. And, you know, we're going to stick with kind of our typical flow of these sessions by starting off with learning a bit about your story. So I would love the audience to get to know you a little bit. In terms of your path, how did you get to where you are now? How did you get to be this man who's so full of this wisdom? Uh, can you share with us a little bit of the story? Sure. Well, I'm an only child, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, born of a Canadian mother and an American father. So I was born in the United States, but when I was still a baby, my mother decided that New York City was no place to raise a family, and so they moved to Toronto. And so I grew up there. I went to university there. I had my first professional career there. And, you know, I had a very middle-class upbringing. I was raised in the Reformed Jewish faith and uh, chose not to have a bar mitzvah, which has made me unusual amongst my uh, my peers at that time. And there were reasons for that. It felt like I wasn't really in too terribly involved in that tribe, and it didn't really have spiritual significance for me. So despite protestations from my mother, you know, I managed to to win the day, and I was confirmed in that faith. The reform form of Judaism does have a confirmation ceremony. And then I began exploring. After I worked my first professional career to the point of getting my professional engineering license, I moved down to the United States, uh, to Colorado, where I went to law school, aiming for a career in politics. I did spend a summer in Washington, D.C., working for a large law firm uh, in the summer of 1982. And what I saw, both in terms of law firm practice and 
my exposure to politics in Washington kind of deterred me from following a political career. I didn't understand the reasons why, except that it felt like I karmically could not be there for all the things that I saw going on. So I came back to Colorado and I got a job as a regulatory attorney for the American Telephone and Telegraph Company, Big Blue as they used to call it, and uh, did that for 12 years, retired at 40, and I've been doing my own thing ever since, which has a lot to do with paranormalcy of all kinds, remote viewing, astrology, past life research, and the near-death experience. Oh, So I've been blessed uh, with... A lot of time to explore a lot of things, and I feel like I've gleaned a lot of wisdom and knowledge, partly due to the fact that I had to understand myself better. I understood myself at a superficial level, but I also knew that I wasn't quite right. I didn't quite fit in, and I didn't understand why. And in 1988, I had the great good fortune to sit in front of a very, very gifted astrologer who read my horoscope, totally cold, and she informed me about my most recent last lifetime. And I thought, well, if what she's saying is true, that explains all the high strangeness of my childhood, the fact that I never really fit in with my tribe, my culture, my family, and indeed my national my national identity. Wow. So that, began, that became a springboard for a lot of exploration, including past life regression, delving into all sorts of paranormalcy and understanding the greater dimensionality of our lives here beyond the 3D. So it's made me a kinder, gentler person. It's given me a lot more context for what it means to be a human being that transcends the ego. And so I've been very fortunate to live a comfortable life of exploration and wisdom seeking. Oh, so first of all, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, right? I mean, I I bet you there's a bunch of sub stories in there too, but I find this so. I mean, I can talk, you know, I can give you you a narrative, a longer narrative, but that's the essence of it. You know, I've led an unusual, you know, in that I've never married, and I, as far as I know, I don't have children. And uh, I was told when I was 19, again by an astrologer, that I should do everything I was going to do by 40. And what that what that translated into was just leaving the world of gainful employment and just exploring life, you know, from the perspective of someone who has a lot of time and not high material needs. Uh, I, I want to speak to this because I think right now with what's happening in the world, you can probably agree that there's just so much attachment to security in our jobs and to doing things the way everyone else is doing them because it's the safe path or it's the path that we've been told is the right path. And I would agree with that. Yes, I would agree with that. You know, I didn't start off to be super unconventional. I was raised kind of conventionally and my I'm somewhat conservative socially. You know, I'm very grounded in 3D. You know, I don't I don't live in La La Land and, you know, I haven't descended into overuse or actually any use, you know, pharmaceuticals. It's been more about using my rational mind to figure everything out. Mm-hmm. And if I have any wisdom at all, it's because I've had I've had a lot of willingness to just explore to better understand myself. Because, you know, I, I may not have liked some of the things that I learned about what it means to be human and what I experienced in past lifetimes. But it also helped give me a much greater understanding and a more empathic and compassionate understanding of what it means to be a person, a human being. I love I love that you're sharing this with us because I do believe that there is an invitation, a really big invitation for the world, for the world to become uh, the seekers of truth. 
for us as individuals to deepen our connection with ourselves, to also deepen our relationship with our three-dimensional selves. And I want to speak to that because you talk, you mentioned 3D a few times. So for those listening, you know, when we talk about the third dimension, we live in the third dimension, but there is there are numerous other dimensions of frequency as well. And so what happens when people are going through this kind of awakening process, and William, you can add to this however you wish, but when we're going through this awakening process, what happens is there oftentimes seems to be some rejection of the 3D. Like, oh, and I had a moment this morning, I was on my bike this morning, and I was having, I was like, why am I here? And, you know, I was kind of feeling that 3D kind of feeling. And there's a tendency as we evolve, as we become spiritually enlightened, uh, for us to reject the 3D. But in fact, we're not being asked to reject that as we evolve. We're being asked to embrace it. And so, William, what have you been able to do to allow yourself to stay grounded and not get wrapped up into La La Land? Because that's where a lot of people seem to get lost as well, you know, in this process. What are some of the things that you do to anchor into the 3D, to honor the 3D, but also continue this advancement into these other dimensional vibrations? Well, the most important thing is to recognize that everyone here is here as a volunteer. Mm. We all made, we all, we all come in with a soul plan. And there's a gentleman actually who's made this his career to help people understand better their soul plan. I found out about it spontaneously when I had a between lives regression. Because I, too, was trying to figure out what am I doing here? You know, what is my purpose? How can I actuate it? And I learned a number of things, one of which is we're all here as volunteers. No one is forced to come to Earth. It is a voluntary expedition, and it is a school. So if you can adopt the mindset of being a student, you're here to learn things, and you're here to teach things. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, it goes around in a circle, and the two can't be divorced. Some people might be playing the role more of student at the moment. Or teacher, but ultimately we're all playing both those roles, in my opinion. Yeah. And so we attract people into our lives with whom we have karma to balance. And right. it's not punishment, it's just balancing. Right. And so yeah, it feels like punishment sometimes. <laughs> it feels like punishment. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt there's no no doubt about it. you recognize it's a school, you have to learn your lessons. Yeah. So there's lessons you learn consciously and there's lessons you learn unconsciously. And I prefer my learning to be as conscious as possible. I don't like stubbing my toe. Yes. You know, and I stub my toe and I'm thinking better that I should recognize what's going on. So I began testing this rationally, you know, a number of years ago. And I found that this notion of cause and effect, karma, if you will, is real, both good or positively and negatively. And you can test it out. You know, I positively, I began buying people lunch spontaneously when I went out to lunch when I was working. And the very next week, people began buying me lunch, and it wasn't the same people for whom I'd bought lunch the previous week. Right. So I set it up as a test, you know, and the universe delivered. And I also did a, did something negative, you know, quasi-negative, and I also paid a price. You know, I took something that didn't belong to me technically, and what happened was I had to pay out money for something else unexpectedly after the fact. Of course. Karma is real. Karma is real. Grace is real, too. Sometimes things happen magically, mysteriously, you know, in ways we cannot predict, and we just accept that as a gift from something or someone beyond ourselves. Yeah. And I've been the beneficiary of that. So, I, as I say, I've come to draw a much bigger circle around life in general and my life in particular, being attached to the fact that it's my life, it's my vehicle, but not so attached because, you know what, 
we all, quote, die, close quote. We all go home and we all get to do it again based on our needs. So it's the most important thing on earth and the least important thing on earth at the same time to be in human form. Oh, I... I want to take a minute to just take all of that in because, first of all, I love this theory that we are volunteers. Uh, and I believe that to be true as well, that, you know, our souls volunteer to come and, and to to learn and to teach. So I love that. And even more than that, you know, I love this idea that it's the least important and most important thing at the same time. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, we recognize that we're just this tiny grain of sand, don't we? (laughs) You know, as part of the bigger piece. And then sometimes, you know, we recognize that our thoughts, our energy that we put out has such a massive ripple effect in this collective consciousness that, oh my gosh, okay, we might be this tiny piece of sand, but do you know what sand does over time to the, the rocks and the earth? Well, it erodes it, right? And so it changes it. And so whether we're the most important or least important, we know that there is an impact that happens, right? As a result of our just simply being so. And so, so it comes back to this opportunity for us to say, okay, well, what am I doing with this being a grain of sand or being the most important thing in the world? What am I going to do with that? So William, tell me a little bit more about these journeys of discovering because you're tuned into like the astral projection world and to, you know, remote viewing. Can you share with the audience what that is so that they can wrap their head around it? Well, everyone probably understands the notion of being psychic getting information that seems divorced from your five physical senses. Well, many years ago, I attended a UFO conference. I'll I'll try and make this as short as possible. And there was a former commanding general of U.S. Army Intelligence who stood in front of the audience. And this is back in 1992. And he said, and at this point, he was a civilian. He said, people in my employ have remote viewed the moon and Mars. And I'm here to tell you that there's rotating machinery, not of terrestrial origin, both on and below the surface of those two orbs. That's exactly what he said. And I remember thinking, and then leaning forward my chair, thinking, what? (laughs) So I went up and I interviewed him. All right, and what I found out is that the United States Army had paid psychics, trained psychics that were being used for espionage purposes. And I said, well, how do I learn more about this? And he said, well, you can't because it's classified. And we only train people who are military intelligence officers. So I said, oh, well, thank you, and I tucked it away. Well, flash forward four years later, and I heard someone give a talk at a conference that I went to, and he claimed that he'd been trained by a military remote viewer. And I went up to him, and I visited with him. Now, I have to admit, I'm an intuitive man, you know, and I've got very good memory. So when this guy said, I can't tell you who trained me, my name immediately flashed on an individual who the general had told me four years prior. But I had I had chosen, for some reason, I had chosen not to seek to connect with that individual, and it turned out to be very providential because he wasn't the guy that I needed to connect with to get proper training. Of course. So flash forward to that, that time in 1996, and at that time I was dating a woman who was one of the few people who knew how to use the internet. And she went online and she said, the guy we need to talk to is a guy by the name of Lynn, L-Y-N Buchanan. And it turned out that Lynn Buchanan had been in the U.S. Army's 
Stargate project. That was the name of the of the project that was doing the psychic spying. And he uh, had retired and he was training people privately. Wow. So I got I got in on his third uh, private or public training. We organized a training here in Denver and we had 16 people and it went from there. And uh, about two or three years later, a trade association got started, which exists today, and things mushroomed. Wow. So there's training involved, you know, in these technical forms of remote viewing, and it's available to anyone. There's a number of people training. Some are better than others. Yeah. And you can learn to hone whatever skills, natural skills you have. Everyone has some skill, yeah. but not everyone has the same amount of skill. I liken it to learning piano intensively for a month. At the end, one person shows the promise of a Van Cliburn. The next person can only do chopsticks, and the other eight are somewhere in between. So if you have some talent and you have some interest, you can get training to just see what you can do with this. And many people have astounding effects, you know, an astounding result. And it varies. You know, I'm not here to tell you that you're going to turn out to be Nostradamus, you know, as soon as you take the training. But I can tell you that you will learn about your natural abilities, and you'll also learn a lot about your mind and how the mind works, that we can acquire information. You know, you and I are energetic beings, and we're relating to each other verbally. You know, and superficially, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, but there's also an energy transfer. You know, when I first met you, you know, you gave me a wonderful reading and I felt a real rapport with you, mm-hmm. you know, person to person. Yes. And if I never saw you again, that still would have been there. Yeah. And that's not always the case. There's certain people you meet, you just say, I don't want anything to do with this person. And the next person you meet, I really want to get to know this person. That's right. It can be romantic. It can be platonic. It can be business. It can be any one of a number of different reasons. But there's an energetic resonance, and I've come to see that that is mappable. You can understand why that is. Yeah. Yeah, you can. I So I love this idea of remote viewing. So essentially what is happening is that people are tuning in beyond the five senses, and they're able to see another point of the world or the universe somewhere else. They can bring themselves elsewhere. Can they also bring themselves back in time? Yeah, apparently time is a human concept, right. you know, and this is fully under, there are, I can spin, you know, spin you an incredible tale. I've got a technical background and they leave me wondering, huh? <laughs> it's, it's mind boggling. You know, I believe that there is a past because that's what I relate to as a 3D human being. And there's a future that is yet, is yet unknown. Yeah. But I can tell you that people have predicted things for me that have come true to almost, you know, to the week, to the month, to the year. It's been that accurate sometimes. And I know that I've lived before because I have direct memory and I've investigated three past lifetimes. So this whole notion of time, you know, I suppose it can be all all be taking place at one, you know, simultaneously. But from my my limited understanding, there's a past, there's a present, and there's a future. And remote viewing can theoretically go anywhere because you're tapping in to the Akashic Records, what what um, Carl Gustav Jung called the collective unconscious, which is just a record of everything, every thought, every action, every word spoken in the universe. It's all recorded somewhere. That's and right. So using your conscious mind, you can get your subconscious to tap into that, glean information, and then report it out. And that's, you know, that theoretically is how it works. That's the theoretical construct. That's right. Yes. And you're right about the Akashics, which is the area that I specialize in. You know, they say there's no space and time within the space of the Akash, but in our human understanding, there is past, present, and future. So I love that you brought that that up as well. Sure. Uh, so remote viewing, is it the same as astral projection? 
Is there a difference between those two? Well, I think there's an overlap. Astral projection has to do with your essence. Let's call it soul for purposes of our discussion. Okay. Leaves your body, your physical body, and goes traveling somewhere. And you're, you're conscious of the fact that you've left your body behind and you're going to a different location somewhere. With remote viewing, not necessarily so. You can, what they call bilocate, where you have a you have a presence sitting at my desk doing the session and a presence somewhere else. But that's not that's not usual. Okay. Oftentimes, you'll just be getting impressions. You'll begin tasting things. You'll begin hearing things, seeing things. And all you're being asked to do as a remote viewer, technically speaking, is get an impression, write an impression. You're not there to analyze or to figure it out or to objectify. In fact, it's discouraged to identify things, especially in the beginning stages. Just get impressions or record impressions. And you usually work with another person called a monitor whose job it is is to keep you in structure or to guide you, depending on the form of remote viewing. So you're just supposed to basically open yourself up in every sensory way imaginable and just get information. You know, sometimes, you know, you'll be tasting things or you'll just have this sense that it's, you know, it's ghost-like. But what does that mean? I can finish there, but there's no physical presence. And the monitor will query you to get more and more information. So you're basically just, you're just like a sounding buoy. You're picking up things and writing them down. Then later, at the end of the session... You'll try and tie it all together so that you make a coherent picture of what it is without identifying necessarily. It gets pretty complicated because effectively what you're doing is you're opening the aperture of your mind to get more and more detailed information. And sometimes, you know, you can have conversations with people at the site and glean information from them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, there was really no limit. And, you know, this is this was only developed in the early 1970s. Okay. Uh, two laser scientists were trying to understand how high energy particles worked, and it was confusing to them. So they found out about this very gifted psychic in New York City by the name of Ingo Swan, and they invited him out. And they found that he could do extraordinary things that they had no working theory for. So, as they say, it blew their mind. And they began testing him and testing him, and they found that everything he said he could do, he was doing. Right. And so they set up a project. And once the Central Intelligence Agency found out that he could go to places where he wasn't supposed to go and tell them what was there, they said, okay, we're in. <laughs> yeah. They funded a research project, and that's what ultimately led to the Army creating, the U.S. Army creating a unit that ran officially for 18 years before it was shut down. Wow. Officially. Yeah. Wow. Now, we, we suspect that it's continued under a different name in a different location, because when the technology worked, it worked pretty spectacularly. Yeah. You know what's so brilliant about this conversation, especially because you have such a background and you've been doing extensive research in this area for quite some time. So you've made connections with the scientists and with the military and all of these people that, you know, we typically perceive as having this knowledge or the stature, right? And I think for some people, we need that in our mind, right? Our ego mind needs that to say there's validity here, right? Otherwise, we listen and we think, well, who is this crazy person talking about UFOs and, you know, astral projection? But really, we know that there's some method to the madness here because there is science behind this and there is some deeper understanding to the woo-woo world. And so what this brings up is, okay, that's great that we're getting this, this insight and this knowledge. But there's also this opportunity for us to recognize the power of our inner technology. 
And what you're telling me right now is that our inner technology is powerful beyond what we can even imagine. Exactly. Exactly. And we live in an age finally, and let's say it only began in the 1960s, where people are a lot more open to exploring, like putting their precautions aside, at least temporarily, and saying, there's something here I want to know. You know, because admins, we're all trying to make sense of our world. And some people put their reliance on science and reason. And some people find a religious path and say, this is the only way. And I say, explore, you know, don't throw it all out, but test it against everything that you know. Why do I believe what I believe? Because I've explored certain things that I've done certain now no deal. You know, I was agnostic about past lifetimes until I sat in front of this gifted astrologer who told me of my lifetime, which is only 80 years ago. And I thought, that's amazing. She, how could she have known that? Because I didn't talk to her about anything. Yeah. And, that is, and then, as I say, I correlated that with the strangeness of my childhood. And I thought, well, if what she's saying is true, that what I found and what I believed and what I was drawing and speaking made sense. Yeah. You know, and at that time, the, war, the world was just opening up to the reality of reincarnation and not just in India, you know, in countries that follow the Buddhist and the Hindu traditions, but right here in North America. You know, and so I won't say I was a trailblazer because there were people that were doing it. But when I found out about it, and two years later, I worked with a, a clinical psychologist, a man with a PhD, who was the act, actually the training director of the Association for Past Life Research and Therapies, and he regressed me in a training for therapists. And I saw five lifetimes that I saw clear as day, unmistakable images of the person that I most recently was and images of people I'd been before that. Wow. And then I began meeting people, meeting people in 3D life who remembered me from that lifetime 80 years ago. Right? Yes. Not yeah. by me, but by energy. By energy. Yeah. And they said, I remember him because, and they would fill it in. You know, and it's, and frankly, it's a little lurid. But for me, I have to know the truth. That's, that's my driver. I don't necessarily like what I learn, but I have to know what's really true. And my cosmology, my way of viewing the world just began expanding, expanding beyond the 3D. You're born, you have a family life, you get married, you have a career, you have children, et cetera, et cetera, you retire, and then you die. Well, yeah, and there's more. <laughs> and you don't have to give any of that stuff up. You just have to be open enough to ask the question, why? What does this mean? What do I need to know in order to live the most fulfilling life? You know, and however perfectly or imperfectly anyone does it, the more you the more you explore, you seek to, the more you learn, and the the better human being you become. Yes. In my experience, you know, you develop your do what you do, and the more I do what I do, the more sensitive I become to emanations. You know, I'm very good at reading people. I don't have to talk with them. I can get an image of them as a person very quickly just by looking at. Them. That's my sensitivity. And, you know, I have it now. I wish I'd had it when I was 15 years old. <laughs> Consciously. Consciously, right? And that's the thing, right? Oftentimes, we're just not conscious about what we have readily available to us because we've right. been told that it's available to us. So, you know, I love that you asked the question as well, um, you know, what do I need to do to have a fulfilled life? And what do I need to do to fulfill the lives of others as well? Recognizing that it's your own fulfillment that will help others to be fulfilled, <laughs> of course. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say that I've become a more giving person. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't like that I 
I wouldn't call myself a bad person in the sense that I was doing bad things to people, but I wasn't as willing to put myself out for people as I am now. And why? Because I learned that people have given to me, surprisingly. And I can recount story after story where someone has showed up as if by an angel to help me through a difficult passage. Me too. Right? You know, whether it was handing me a dollar that I needed, you know, to to cover the cost of groceries, or I had a leak in my sailboat, and a friend of mine came over and knew exactly what to do, yeah. and took care of it. And it wasn't it wasn't just flipping a switch. I mean, it took you know a day and a half's worth of labor, but wow. he took care of it just because. Yeah. You know, and it reminded me that I can do the same thing. Yeah. And that way, you know, everything builds in a, in a in a positive feedback way, and the more you give the more you receive. It goes around in a circle. That's right. Now, I had known that theoretically, mentally, but I got a heart experience of it by having people come into my life, unbidden, unexpected, who helped me get through a tough spot. Yeah. So I commend that to people. Just show up for people. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't have to set up a, a nonprofit or make it a career, but if you can help another person in the moment, do it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. And that way you send out an emanation and it builds. It does. It builds momentum. I think that's a wonderful piece of advice out there. It's just that reminder. And, you know, we've we've all heard of pay it forward and all of those things. But, you know, there's multiple ways in which we win when we courageously and generously give. And that can mean something as simple as taking a minute to hold the door open. We don't know the impact of what that has. It doesn't, like you said, you don't have to start some big non-for-profit, you know. It can be in these simple, meaningful gestures that we do for one another. And I think it's a wonderful way to live each day in trying to be that bright light for other people. So that, to me, is, you know, a big part of our mission here is to be those bright lights for other people. So... I want to ask you, as we kind of come to a close today, you know, you had the ability to retire early. You had great success in your career, but you retired early so that you could ultimately take the time to explore and to research and to play in this beautiful space of awe and wonder. What can you suggest to people that feel like they don't have the time or the space? What are what are some of the things that they might want to consider in changing so that they can, you know, continue to explore and nurture themselves. Is there anything that you would suggest for someone who's like so stuck in their career and they're like, I don't, I can't let this go because I got my family or they think they can't let it go. Yeah, I know that there's more. Is there anything that you can suggest to those people? Well, I think everyone has to take some quiet time and sit down and figure out what they really most want. You know, for me, I wanted wisdom and knowledge and I wanted freedom and independence. And I, I basically got it. You know, I I haven't had a perfect life in, in many respects, but my main priorities have been satisfied. You know, I have the time and the energy and the money to go explore and acquire knowledge and wisdom. And so I will lead this life a more evolved person, right? I'm not expecting any award. I'm just expecting that this life was productive of me healing what I came in to heal. Because my last lifetime was very gruesome. You know, and I actually took my own life out of guilt and shame. And when it came to that awareness, it propelled me to actually do the work to heal myself and to learn to love myself mm-hmm. more and better than I had had before. Because, you know, to look at me, I look like just everyone else. 
But you never know what's going on inside another person unless you spend time to get to know them or you use other means. You know, I, I use other means as well as talk to them. I would advise people to sit down and make, make a priority list. What's most important to you? And be honest with yourself. And take time to feel it, not just think it. Mm-hmm. I, say that, I say that as a very left-brained person. You know, I'm a thinker by nature. But you have to tap into a deeper source to find out what is really motivating you. And then orient your life to the best of your ability. You can't give up your marriage. You can't give up your children. And oftentimes, you can't give up your career. But you can perhaps not take the promotion because you want more time. You know, you can say that once the kids are growing, or I'm not going to have another child, I'm going to be happy with one or two. Yeah. And another, I'm going to have the courage to make a shift in my lifestyle, in my life choices, so that I can have more of what I say I want. Yeah. You know, at one level, you know, we become slave to our, slaves to our choices. I get it. I do. On the other hand, frankly, every day is a new day, and you have an option to choose a new or at least begin to make changes, small changes that enable you to have more of what you say you want time-wise, if you want to spend your money in a new direction, whatever. Choice. I mean, you have choice. You have choice. Everyone's got choice. You know, even there's very few people that are totally imprisoned. There are people that are totally imprisoned. You know, they have physical issues, you know, that limit them. They can't get out of a wheelchair, for example, or they're literally in a prison. But most of us are not in that situation. We can figure out a small window of opportunity to begin to explore something new. Because oftentimes what happens is we create a prison within our mind, right? We, we you know, and so many of us live imprisoned, uh, yes. though, you know, we might not physically be. I really appreciate that you asked the question, what do I really want? And so that's the invitation to our audience today. What do you really want? And, uh, the, you know, William said, this is about being honest about what you want. You know, we think what we want is this promotion or this accolade or this achievement. And I was an overachiever my whole life. So it was always about the next thing and the next achieving and the next achieving. Well, none of that made me happy. None of that fulfilled me because I had lost the connection with myself and I wasn't being honest with myself about what I truly wanted. Yes. And so I re- that really resonated for me because I had to get really honest when I left my husband and become a single mom. I had to be really honest with myself. When I chose not to go back to work and kept building a business, even though it was hard, that was also getting really honest with myself. So that is the invitation for those of you listening. And as William was talking, he mentioned, you know, you know, write it down, but don't just think it, feel it. And this is one of the secrets to manifestation. We cannot just think, oh, I want that brand new vehicle or I want this money or this house or whatever it is that we want extrinsic of us. The opportunity is for us to be at the vibrational frequency in which that already exists. Yes? Yes. And so that is what William's talking about is you have to feel it. You have to be in the vibrational frequency in which that money, that house, whatever it is that you want, that relationship exists. And as soon as we doubt that, as soon as we don't trust that all is, you know, there and available to us, then guess what happens? We sing our vibration. And then we wonder why we can't get the thing we want. Well, because we need to have such deep faith and trust that everything is being supplied for us. And William, you touched on it as well with that karmic experience and what our soul needs to learn and all of that. 
But it even goes deeper than that. It goes back to recognizing that creator or God, again, Gus, whatever you call higher spirit, everything that we need to fulfill our divine destiny is supplied for us. And so everything that William has needed for his divine destiny, for him to be a truth seeker and to be a teacher for all of us, everything that he has needed for that path has been supplied to him. So let that soak in for you and remind you that if you are being honest with yourself, if you are choosing your most divine path, that you've got everything covered. Everything's already there for you. Just a matter of you coming into that energy of receiving. So William, I I know you can relate to all of that. I wanted to just summarize that so that people could capture all of the goodness. Any final words that you want to share with our audience today? Well, I think it's important that people develop the capacity to be quiet in themselves. Meditation is recommended, but even if you have a hard time quiet in your mind, Everyone can go for a walk in the park for half an hour. Go find yourself a park bench, you know, in a very, very natural setting, a seashore, park, whatever. Close your eyes and just listen. You know, give yourself five minutes and just listen and see what bubbles up. You know, your spouse is not going to go away. Your job isn't going to go away. Your kids aren't going to go away, but you can put them aside for just a, a small period of time. I'd also frankly recommend that everyone find a good astrologer to cast a natal chart so that you have a roadmap for what your life is about. You may already know it, but to have someone who doesn't know you from Adam or Eve tell you it blind is very compelling. And when you recognize that the mandala of your chart is a divine imprint that is given to you as guidance. You know, I've done astrology charts for people who are Christians and Orthodox people who don't believe in any of this stuff. It's all about information. You can read it and reject it, or you can say, this is information that I can use to help my life become better. And that's all it is. That, for me, was a lifesaver. I I love that piece, too, because I also had an astrology reading blueprint, if you will, done many years ago. And it still stays with me because it really inspired me. It really led me down this path of conviction, I think, about living the divine path. And so it was a beautiful catalyst for me. So, William, what do you have to offer? What, um, how can people reach you? What are the next steps if, you know, they felt resonant with you as well today? Uh, can you share with us that? Well, if people are interested in learning about some of my, you know, more, shall we say, distinctive paranormal experiences, I created a blog to style all of my writing. I decided to commit these things to paper just so I had cleaned out my mind and put together all the information that had come to me, you know, through various means and mechanisms. So I have that called Soul U-L-N, as in November, M-O-K-M-M-O dot com. It's a riff on a gun magazine in the United States called Guns and Ammo. Ammo refers to the 3D and Soul, everything beyond it. The trans oh, I love that. Soul yeah. and Ammo, yes? Soulandammo.com is, is my blog site. If you want to bypass the political stuff and just get to the paranormal stuff, go all the way to the right-hand side and go down. I have things siloed in, in paranormalcy, geopolitics, and life musing. So just click on the paranormalcy, and that'll go to all the paranormal experiences that I've had. Wow. So there's three past lifetimes that I you know have direct 
information on and very compelling information, you know, multiple sources corroborating it. And then I know that no one dies because I've had direct after-death communication that was validated. And I, all I can say, frankly, is that if anyone is mourning someone who's passed, just get quiet when you put your head down at night, mention their name three times and listen. And you be, you may very well be very surprised at what you hear back as I was when it came to me. And I've since communicated with my mother particularly, and she's been gone from the earth plane for 35 years. Wow. And she's given me guidance that proved to be correct an hour in the future, two years in the future, and different periods of time in between. I'm not kidding. Well, it's so real, you know, as I say, we're temporary sojourners here. Yeah. Home is where we go to when we, quote, die, close quote. Right. There's no such thing. We return home, and then we get to do it again if we want, or somewhere else. Right. Now, in other words, as bad as things are, take heart, frankly, that you're having an experience in life, and I'm not... I'm not negating anyone's tribulations. I'm simply saying that there's a bigger picture that you can access while you're still here. Oh, amen to accessing the bigger picture, everybody. Yes. And and honor people like Deandre Ando, all right, who has a gift, which he shares very, very well, and it's well worth the time and the money. Oh, thank you, William. I so appreciate that. I have loved this conversation. I feel like we can talk for hours and hours on end. So we'll have to plan for for a rendezvous together uh, okay. so we can talk all things UFO, astral projection, all that good stuff. But this has been a lot of fun. And I hope that it has piqued some of our audience members' interest uh, for them to continue their journey, to be more curious and to get really honest with themselves. What do you want in this life? What do you really, truly want? And have, the courage, have the courage to choose consciously. And the courage to choose consciously. Absolutely. What a joy. Thank you so much, William. It's been a pleasure. Everybody listening, thank you again for continuing to tune in. We love being able to share information. It fills my heart and it also brings such joy to the people that we have as guests and our listeners. So thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you. And until next time. Blessings to everyone. <laughs> yes, blessings. Blessings to you all. Until next time on When Spirit Calls. Bye for now. So happy you could join us today. And we hope that you found comfort and inspiration with wherever you are at right now. If you feel you received a gift in today's message, please pass that gift along to a loved one by sharing this episode with them. To continue this conversation, please join me at rosehope.ca and when you do, be sure to access your free gift by signing up for the When Spirit Calls newsletter. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again soon.